Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, next to where they're building the new townhomes. We'd love to be able to meet with you this morning and fellowship with you and be able to spend some time and make friends with you. If that can't happen today, maybe sometime in the future. We would like to point out a couple of online resources we have for you at LifePoint. First of all, there's our blog, pointtolife.wordpress.com, pointtolife.wordpress.com. We have Bible teaching there as well as information on the church. We also have our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pointtolife, facebook.com slash pointtolife. And if you're an iPhone user, you can follow The Point Radio Show by subscribing to our podcast at uh, Life Point Baptist Church. You can just do a search for The Point on iTunes, and you should be able to pull it up. This morning, I'd like to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, the podcast, by the way, accessible through the blog as well, point2life.wordpress.com. Revelation chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 1. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. 
because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." The book of Revelation was written to prepare the churches to meet the Lord, to prepare the churches for the coming of Christ. The title Revelation is actually short for the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is how the book begins in chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Revelation was written in the form of a letter dictated by Christ, demonstrated by his visions, and given to the Apostle John to write down in the form of the letter to the seven churches of Asia. In this letter to the seven churches of Asia, the Lord begins by showing his glory, explains his presence among the churches, and then in beginning in in chapter 2, the Lord addresses issues within the churches and then shows the things that will lead up to his return. Revelation opens with the Apostle John seeing the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. And this shows us the hope in his resurrection. It shows us the power and authority that he has, and it reminds us that he is with us. And as we get into Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addresses the seven churches of Asia individually. He praises their faithfulness in their works. He praises what they're doing right. He praises what's right with their life and what's right with their faith. But then he confronts their sin. And the Lord does the same thing for us. He praises our faithfulness. He praises our works. He he rewards us for the things that we do for him and the things that we do out of the right heart. But he also confronts our sin. And when he confronts our sin, it's in our interest to repent of our sin and to correct that sin. And so that's what Jesus did in Revelation chapter 2. Now we are moving into Revelation chapter 3, and we have these letters to these churches in chapter 3. And as we study these letters to these churches in chapter 3, we're going to notice the Lord doing three things here, and he's addressing three things, and we're going to learn three lessons as we study the letters to the church at Sardis and the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. There are three things that we need to learn from Revelation chapter 3, and that is that church life and the Christian life is, first of all, more than reputation. Second of all, it's about more than what we see. And third of all, it's about more than material wealth. So first, let's talk about church life being more than reputation. In verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Now Jesus told the church at Sardis that they had a name, a reputation, that they lived 
but we're dead. And now we have to figure out what that means. What does it mean when Jesus said the church at Sardis had a reputation that they lived, but they were really dead? When Jesus talks about a living church versus a dead church, what is he talking about? You see, we have perceptions of this in the 21st century. We think of a church that has young people, that has a dynamic worship presentation on Sunday morning, that has a youth program on Wednesday night. We think that that is a living church. And churches that have those things have reputations that they live. Yet, when we read chapter 3, verse 1 here, and it says you have a reputation that you live, but yet you're dead, what's Jesus talking about? You see, Sardis had a reputation of being a church that was spiritually alive. When Jesus discusses a church that is living and a church that is dead, he is discussing their spiritual condition, has nothing to do with how it feels to go to church there, has nothing to do with the size of the church or the presentation or the amount of programs that they have or the size budget or building that they have. When Jesus discusses a church that is living or a church that is dead, he's talking about a spiritual condition. Is this a church that is on fire for the Lord? Is this a church that loves the Lord? Is this a church that is living by faith? Or is this a church that has gotten caught, in up, caught up in the world that it is in now, in the here and now, and the things that are tangible? You see, Sardis had the reputation of being a church that was spiritually alive. And that being spiritually alive means that they were faithful to the Lord, they were working for the Lord, and that they were a pure church. And Jesus said that this is the reputation that you have. You have a name that you live. You have a name that you're spiritually alive. You have a reputation that you're faithful to the Lord, that you're working for the Lord, and that you're pure. But Jesus said, you're dead. He says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Jesus saw right through the veneer. You see, Christ, when he examines us, he doesn't look at the surface level where our works are, what our reputation is, the image that we put up. He looks through that image. He looks through that facade and sees right down into the heart. You see, Christ doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And as Christ examined the heart of the church at Sardis, he saw problems. And what the rest of the world saw as a faithful, hardworking, pure church, Christ was able to look into the heart and he saw sin and he saw worldliness. And so he called them to repent and to strengthen the things that they had right, unless those things should slip also. I grew up in the deep south, deep east Texas, and in the deep south, it's all about appearance and propriety. It's all about how things look. It's all about the manners and the mannerisms. It's all about what looks right and what convinces everybody else you're right. And culturally, we can make it look like we have it all together. When in reality, our lives are really falling apart. And we can convince the world that we are living a spiritual life and yet be far removed from God. See, growing up in the South, we had families that could put on the suit on Sunday morning and go to church and make it look like we had it all together. 
we could make it look like that dad's good job was make was was solid and on a firm foundation we could put forth the image that we had a strong family and in the south you didn't confront other people on their sin and on their shortcomings because you were afraid that the same thing would happen to you. There was a saying that we had uh, growing up, and it's in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged. And the way we applied that was the harder you are judging somebody else, the harder people will be judging you. And so therefore, you, you didn't do a lot of judging because you didn't want to be judged as hard as you would be judging other people. And so there was a lot of putting up a front and putting up an image and, and trying to look the part and play the part while not trying to confront anybody else on their shortcomings and hoping that nobody confronted you on yours because if the right accusation or the right thing was pointed out, your little house of cards could collapse and nobody wanted that to happen. That was Southern culture growing up when I was a kid. We put on these facades and we put forth that appearance that we had it all together. And we can fool each other doing that. And you can fool me. And we can fool each other but you cannot fool God. And no amount of paint, spackle, or sugarcoating will shield you from God's chastisement. You see, church life is more than reputation. It's substance. And the Lord looks at the substance. He looks at the substance behind the image. He looks at the heart behind the works. And so Jesus tells us in verse 2, he says, Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Despite the spiritual deadness of the church at Sardis, the church at Sardis was still doing some things right. And the Lord had encouraged them to continue to do what they had right. Now, oftentimes on this program, because the scripture is about bringing us into God's presence. And to bring us into God's presence, we have to repent of sin and have that sin cleansed from us. And so we tend to focus a lot on the sin, the sin of ourselves, the sin of the world, the things that need to be corrected and repented of. And so on this program quite a bit, we talk about the problems of life, the problems of this world, the problems of society, the problems that are within our own hearts and our own spirituality. But the Lord does something interesting here. He says in verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Here, the Lord is encouraging the church at Sardis to continue doing what they had right and to strengthen what they had right. And so the Lord actually tells him that doing some things right, continue doing that. And that brings up a question in our lives. When we look at our lives, what are we doing right? What are we doing right? What are we doing that is pleasing to God? And what are the things that we are doing that we should continue to do? Verse 3, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The Lord not only tells them to repent, but he tells them how to repent. He tells them to remember the day they received the gospel. He says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. What was it they received and heard? 
what they received and heard was the gospel, how that Christ had died for their sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. They heard how that death on the cross took the punishment of God for their sins upon himself on their behalf. They heard how that that payment that Christ made on the cross in his death, how that payment cleared their debt for their sin. They heard that he died. They heard that his payment for their sins had taken his life. They heard that he was buried. They heard that he rose again the third day. When he rose again the third day, he conquered death, meaning that all of us can live eternally, meaning that all of us can look forward to an eternity in God's heaven, in God's kingdom, if we turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. They had heard the gospel, and being Christians, they had received the gospel, which means they not only heard it, but they believed it. They internalized it. They turned from their sins. They placed their faith in Jesus Christ because they were looking forward to the eternal life that they would have through Jesus Christ who died for their sins and rose again, their hope for eternal life was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus tells them to do is to remember, remember the gospel, remember how they heard the gospel, remember how they received the gospel. We would do very well in the Christian life to go back to the gospel. There is so much pressure in Christianity today to stay relevant, to keep up with the changes in culture, and to keep up with the cutting edge of religious work that so often we get caught up in trying to modernize and trying to speak into the issues of the day and trying to find the latest cool unknown thing about the Bible, the latest golden nugget that we get away from the gospel. And when we get away from the gospel, we get away from the entire premise of our faith and our salvation. And when we get away from that, we get into the weeds and we get to arguing about finer points of, of different things. And before you know it, we've totally forgotten why we're doing this in the first place. And when we find ourselves there, we find ourselves in a place where we are more or less spiritually dead. And that's where the church at Sardis was in our passage. And so the Lord says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Hold fast to that remembrance. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to that moment of your salvation, remember the day that you were saved, the day that you turned from your sins and you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Remember that, cling to that. As Hebrews 10.23 said, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. If you find yourself dead, discouraged, worn out, feeling like you're just kind of tired of this, had a friend in school, he was super Christian. <clears throat> in our teenage years, this man was, as a teenager, the example of what you wanted your kids to be. He was the example of what I wanted to be at one point. The super Christian, the one who could pray through anything, the one who was always at church, the one who was always joyful, wanted to be that guy. And then one day he quit. I went and talked to him, he said, I'm tired. I can't do this Christian thing anymore. You see, he had pushed himself so long and so hard 
but he was tired of church. He was tired of faith. He was tired of having to put on that facade that the church at Sardis put on, that everything was happy and joyful, and and we were trusting the Lord and everything, and, and he was exhausted. He was exhausted because he was working to put up the image, the front, the veneer, the facade. Trying to keep up that image will exhaust you. Quit holding up the facade. Turn to the Lord. Trust him. Remember his gospel. Remember your day of salvation. Cling tightly to that for your hope. And let the Lord change your life from the inside out. And as that facade falls down and people find out that you're really a broken sinner underneath, that's okay. Because your testimony and your reputation are not tied up in how perfect you can look in front of others. It's tied up in how the Lord redeems you and heals you and works you through those issues that you face. So if you find yourself dead, go back to your salvation and hold on to that moment. And the Bible teaches that you will be revived. Second thing, church life is more than what we see. In verses 7 through 8, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. The church at Philadelphia had problems. They had opposition from the synagogue of Satan. They, they had infiltrators, fake Christians that were undermining the church and that were setting up controversy and conflict within the church. They were suffering from persecution. They were suffering from all kinds of opposition. They were being opposed at every angle. They were being frustrated at every angle. Nevertheless, Philadelphia persisted. They remained faithful. They kept the word, and they never denied Christ. Now, the church at Philadelphia had problems, and they were suffering, and they couldn't see it, but God was opening a door for them that no man would close. God was going to bless them in such a way that no one could deny God's blessings. No one would be able to steal God's blessings from them. They couldn't see this open door at this particular moment, but the Lord was promising them that he was opening a door for them that they would be able to go through that no man could shut, that no man could prevent them from entering into. You see, Philadelphia had hard times, but the Lord was telling them that there was more to what was going on than what they could see, and their blessing was imminent, and their blessing was going to be great. You see, life is more than what we see. When we wake up in the morning and we look at our day that we've got to go through that day, we see problems, we see challenges, we see assignments, we see deadlines, we see impossible odds stacked against us. We see the world closing in on us. Life is more than what we see. We see problems and we see challenges. But God is moving behind the scenes and he will bless us if we were faithful like the church at Philadelphia. He is going to open a door for you that no man will close, that you can go through. Your blessing is coming. Stay faithful to the Lord. It's more than what you see. 
in the here and now. It's more than what you see directly in front of you. The Lord is doing some things for you that you can't even see right now. Stay faithful and you'll be able to go through that door. Verse 9, Jesus says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. The church at Philadelphia faced intense opposition from the synagogue of Satan, yet they remained faithful to the Lord. And what God was going to do was legitimize the faith of the church at Philadelphia. What was going to happen was the Lord would overcome the synagogue of Satan. He would defeat them, and he would make it to where they would come down and worship before their feet. In other words, he was going to move in such a mighty way that those who denied Philadelphia and those who criticized Philadelphia would come to realize that God was on their side the entire time. You see, the Lord one day is going to legitimize our faith. The Lord one day will publicly demonstrate his love for us, removing all doubt. The Lord one day is going to come through for you in such a way that no man will be able to deny that he loves you. And that day, everybody will know that your faith was legit. And everybody will know that your faith was the real thing. And you will know that day that your faith was not in vain. The Lord will publicly demonstrate his love for you. Will you publicly demonstrate your love for him? And then in verses 10 and 11, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them which dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown. The Lord is coming quickly. Be prepared. And finally, we see that church life is more than what you have. In verses 15 through 16, the Lord takes on the church at Laodicea. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is a way of the Lord saying that they were being ineffectual and that they weren't really doing anything. They weren't accomplishing anything. The church at Laodicea had become ineffectual because the church at Laodicea had gotten caught up in material prosperity. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were ineffectual because they were oblivious to their spiritual condition and the spiritual need around them. This is a problem in 21st century America. We have gotten to a point where we equate financial blessing with the Lord's blessing, financial success with the idea that God is on our side. We have equated the idea that if God is happy with us, he'll bless us financially. If he's not happy with us, he punishes us by making us poor. And therefore, we look at the rich people and rich mega preachers as if they got it all together. We look at the church with few members and we look at the man who is living in poverty as those who are spiritually dead or outside the will of the Lord. But this passage teaches us that that's not the case. You can be financially rich, financially prosperous, and yet be spiritually poor. 
You can be in prosperity as far as finances go, but you can be in poverty as far as your spirituality goes and vice versa. We need to get away from this fascination with material blessing and with seeking comfort in all things. And we need to realize that sometimes the Lord works in our lives through the trials and tribulations. Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. When the Lord says to buy of him gold tried in the fire, what he is saying is that they should allow him to put them through trials and tribulations in order to refine their faith. And that's how God works. When you see somebody having problems, it may not be that God is punishing them. It may be that God is refining them and he is working in their lives to do something great. We need to disconnect the thought of financial success from spirituality. Just because you are well off does not mean that you have done everything that has pleased God, and it doesn't mean that God is pleased with everything that you are doing. Examine yourself spiritually. Give yourself a spiritual audit, and those things that you find outside the Lord's will, repent of those things. Life Point Baptist Church meets Sunday morning, Sunday school, 10 a.m., morning worship, 11 a.m. We meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, also known as the Early Consolidated Business Complex, also known as the Chamber of Commerce Building, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where they're building those new townhomes. We'd love to meet you this morning. If you can't meet with us this morning, then look us up online, pointtolife.wordpress.com.